So I think at the end of the day, environmental safety should be everyone's concern. I think as a profession, we need to be proactive more than ever. We need to do more research in this area. We need to have a proper and a comprehensive environmental assessment. We need to know how much of the different products we use will end up in the environment and the effects they have on the non-target species. This could be one of the ways to show as a profession our commitment to protect the safety of the environment we live in. Welcome to the Vet Times podcast, a concise, weekly, topical, clinical podcast from the people behind Vet Times. Pet owners are broadly willing to do all they can to protect their pets and keep them healthy, but commitment to therapeutic and preventive parasite regimens can vary massively. Haniel Shaker discusses the impact of infestation on pet health, plus how to improve compliance, including all year round. In this Vet Times podcast. Hani, how are things with you? Yeah, I'm great. Yes, I, I hope you are keeping well. Thank you, Paul, for, for having me on. No problem at all. Thank you for joining us. Um, Thank you. So as I say, talking about year-round parasite protection, just to sort of start off, what is the impact of ectoparasite infestation? Uh, it can be quite significant, I'm guessing. Can you briefly outline some of it? Yes, indeed, Paul. This is absolutely correct. So there are about 2,500 species of fleas and more than 900 tick species exist worldwide. So fortunately, we don't have to deal with all of them. So, but even for the one or two fleas species and the handful of tick species uh, we need to control, they still continue to give us a hard time. So ectoparasites are every bit owner's nightmare and they can make the pet's life really miserable. So they cause a wide range of external and internal complications. For example, fleas can cause severe dermatitis which is a, a specific skin allergy to flea saliva. And this can trigger painful itching, scratching, flaking skin, hair loss, and it does not stop there. So they can break up the skin, allow bacteria to get in, and they cause a skin infection. In addition to skin irritation and other external issues, fleas and attacks feed so much on the blood, especially red blood cells. And, and if this happens in young animals like puppies and kittens, Severe infestation can lead to anemia, and this will weaken the animal immune system, leaving them susceptible to infection and to attacks from other parasites. Of course, treatment in a timely manner can reverse these effects. Another problem is caused by fleas, which is the tapeworms. So the bits can get tapeworms when they actually ingest infected fleas. Tapeworms are segmented parasites, which can be as long as 30 or 40 centimeters and they cause weight loss. When segments of the tapeworms leave the intestine of the pet, they look like maggots, and they cause itchy rear end, and you may see them wiggling on the dog feces, or sometimes they can be moving on the perianal region of the dog. So ectoparasites also can carry on the transmit potentially serious illnesses. For example, fleas can transmit typhus, plague, rickettsial infection to humans, and in cats, Fleas can transmit cat scratch disease, which is caused by Bartonella bacteria. Cats themselves can subsequently pass on the disease to humans. If you look at ticks, ticks also can transmit a number of serious diseases to humans and pets, like Babesiosis and the Lyme disease. And there are many other examples of how ectoparasites can seriously compromise the health and the welfare of companion animals, as well as humans. Just to give you some more indications, 
of the size of the challenge of the ectoparasite, uh, what they can cause. If you look, we'll see ectoparasiticides. These are the drugs which you use to kill ectoparasites. So these drugs often hold the lion's share of the animal antiparasitic drug market. And antiparasitic drugs already represent the largest share of the veterinary drugs market. So all these facts point out to the seriousness of ectoparasiticides and to the crucial rules of antiparasitic drugs in the treatment and the control of fleas and ticks and other external parasites, which can really torment a combined animal. Right, so lots of problems. I hadn't imagined there were quite so many. So it's vital there is a protection in place. And in terms of the background, why do you think we're seeing more need for the year-round protection for pets? Why is it so important? I think this is a very timely point, Paul. So if you look like a few years ago, and even until today, small animal clinicians recommend using preventive treatments against ectoparasite infestation during the summer months unless pet animals will live in a warm and humid environment. So this was based on assumptions that colder temperature would kill the parasite and disrupt their life cycle. However, external parasites don't die in the winter, as previously thought. Adult fleas, whether they are hidden within the hair coat of the animal or whether they are in mature stage, juvenile forms, the inside controlled, climate-controlled homes, or even in the kennels, they may survive even when outdoor temperature falls to a low degree. Yes. Fleas and ticks might not be as prolific during the winter season, but they still pose the risk to the health of people and their pets during every season of the year. Climate change has affected many aspects of our life, including changing the trends of the disease we have to deal with. And this applies to the fleas and ticks, which can now impose a constant risk all year round. So I think failure to recognize and embrace this clear shift in the epidemiology of ectoparasites and the possibility of all-year infestation might take us to unpleasant scenarios. So ectoparasite control, I would say, is no longer the same. And creating effective solutions to address the new changes requires a different approach. So I think this is what has made members of the, our profession in the USA and UK and Australia to start to think about you know, using a different approach in regard to managing ectoparasites. And I, I could also say that a growing number of vets start to believe that flea and tick infestation, this is a constant problem that must be dealt with during the entire year. Fleas can easily enter the homes of millions of people without their permission. Uh, and also we need to remember, fleas have a very remarkable ability uh, to reproduce. They have impressive capability to persist in the environment and act as a vector for many disease-causing agents. And these features make fleas among the most important ectoparasites of pets, of pets like dogs and cats. Yeah. So yeah. a few fleas can quickly multiply, they can quickly establish a major infestation in no time. If you even seen a single fleas in a dog or a cat, there are likely hundreds or even thousands more living on the animal or inside the home. So yes, ectoparasites can be a big problem for the pet, but getting rid of them doesn't have to be. So the best way, the best way to win the battle against fleas and ticks is to take a holistic approach. So this means taking into consideration a wide range of factors from using preventative treatments, preferably all year round, to better diet, to better skin care, to protecting the environment both, both indoors and outdoors. 
So by covering all of these bases, you can then support the animal immune defenses. Again, it's this hardy and resistant pests. And you can maintain their health and comfort and well-being throughout the entire year, including even the, the worst season. Compliance generally is an issue in veterinary medicine, not just when it comes right to parasites and treatments, but in lots of areas. Why do you think this is and what broad advice do you have for how vets can encourage year-round take-up of preventive treatments? I think, first of all, we need to understand that, you know, and also appreciate that management of ectoparasite, especially fleas, is difficult, time-consuming, and it can be expensive. So it takes a significant level of commitment from the pet owners to strictly adhere to, to recommendations for, for parasite controls. Not to mention if you ask them to do it all year round. So pet owners' commitment to the parasite treatment and control protocols can vary uh, considerably for various reasons. So I think from my own perspective, we need to be realistic. We need to strike a balance between being realistic of what can be achieved to improve compliance without being too ambitious. So I would say to my colleagues, a number of factors, the cost, affordability will be always a factor. Some products can be considered expensive by pet owners. So some pet owners may stop giving preventatives when it gets cold to save money. So think about providing your clients with special offers and discounts on the products to encourage them. Another factor might be related to the lack of the pet owner's understanding of the level of the risk. So while the risk for, for the pet getting a flea or a tick in the winter is lower than another season, people should be aware it's not impossible. So a pet owner may decide to gamble each winter. But what happens if they were wrong? So the pet could contract a flea or tick-borne disease the bit and the home environments could become infested with tick or fleas. And if this happens, it can be far more costly compared to treating the pet in the first place. Right. So make some efforts to educate the clients, talk them through the critical elements of the flea life cycle, the risk of exposure, explain why year-round protection is important, not only for the sake of the pet, but also for the health and the well-being of the family. Another concern by some pet owners is the fear that some of the product might not be safe and they can harm the pets. While adverse reactions related to the use of some of these drugs could happen, most of the serious reactions are nearly resulting from user error. So in general, antiparasitic drugs can be proven to be safe when used properly. Yeah. Pet owners, I think, need to know this and they need to be assured of the safety of the product prescribed to their pets. I would also like to highlight another issue which has been largely ignored. So science has shown that, you know, person who perceive themselves or those who care for to be at risk of infection, they may engage in more precautionary behavior. So if we apply this in the context of ectoparasite infestation, then understanding people's perception of risk, motivation to adopt new preventative treatments can be paramount for improving the bit owner compliance so they can prevent external parasite using all year round preventatives. So I think the way forward is to promote realistic risk perception and effective precautionary measures among the bit owner. And this can be done or should be done by communicating with them through various information channels. People appreciate it if they receive clear inf information, clear instructions, use effective tools, which can facilitate explain, explaining the clinical and scientific facts in a very simple manner. SCAB UK and Ireland issues a regular parasite forecast, which can be used together with other forms of publications to substantiate your message 
while talking to, to the clients. Use a range of educational materials in the waiting rooms, which can help to trigger the pet owner's interest to know more about maybe certain drugs or improve their appreciation of the importance of protecting their pets from ectoparasites. Finally, educating pet owners using a plain language is a very, very effective tool, especially when you combine this with other approaches. Yeah. Touched on it a bit there, actually. You're talking a little bit about safety. And there's quite a bit of debate at the moment about parasiticides and the impact that they have on the environment. Should this be a cause for concern? You know, I'm sure you know this already, Paul. You know, many people, you know, than ever became more conscious about the importance of caring for our planet. Mm. And in recent years, the issue of the environmental consequences of using medicine has come under the spotlight. Yeah. I think, you know, I read some, I remember I read some letters published in in some journals uh, early this year. The author raised the concern about the possible environmental impact of drugs used for the treatment of ecto and ectoparasites in dogs and cats. I think also in another paper, the author doubted the need for prophylactic use of antiparasitic drugs on companion animals and argued for the need to revert to the use of these drugs in a strategic fashion, which means drugs should be only used when you actually see the parasite or suspect them. And this is to minimize the environmental exposure. Mm. To be honest, this could be some member of our profession and maybe some pet owners might share the same opinion. But I think parasiticides are not the only one to, to blame. Mm. Other drugs used to treat animals from other infections, disorders, conditions, diseases, drugs used in human medicine, products used in agriculture, aquaculture, all household chemicals and detergents, all the chemicals used in the research labs in universities and research institutes, all of these could potentially also contribute to the same issue. So many of these chemicals can reach the natural system and they can accumulate and they can harm microbes in nature. And this will alter the ecosystem. So the exact consequences of these chemicals are not yet fully known, but mm. they will have impact on the environment in one way or another. So I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, environmental safety should be everyone's concern. I think as a profession, we need to be proactive more than ever. We need to do more research in this area. We need to have a proper and a comprehensive environmental assessment. We need to know how much of the different products we use will end up in the environment and the effects they have on the non-target species. This could be one of the ways to, to show as a profession our commitment to protect the safety of the environment we live in. Yeah. As you say, certainly something that probably needs a lot more research and looking into. But there's a lot of topics covered there. Thank you so much, Hani. Um, I should point out just for our listeners as well, um, who are probably readers of that times, that you've written an article, it was in issue 43. You went through a lot of the points that you brought up here as well in more detail. So that's in issue 43. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. Any other bits you want to add at all, Hani, in terms of uh, this is obviously a very important area and one you feel very passionate about? Yeah, thanks, Paul, for giving me the chance to, to say that. I mean, I would like to add, like, the old method for controlling ectoparasites is not sufficient. So the best way to get rid of ectoparasites once and for all is to build a solution which will remedy all aspects of the problem. So in my, in my personal opinion, the implementation of the comprehensive multi-component strategy is definitely the way to effective ectoparasite control. But the success of such integrated interventions will rely on public collaborations and understanding, which should not be taken for granted. I think we should ask ourselves what we have done to win the mind and the trust of the pet owners. Empathy, 
plays a critical role in our relationship with our clients, with the bit owners. So building a reliable connection with your clients should be one of your top priorities. Finally, no matter what strategy you want to use or want to develop to improve the bit owner adherence to antiparasitic medications, always try to meet their expectations. Yes. Great stuff. Good advice there. Thank you. <laughs> like many areas, it's collaboration, isn't it? And working yes. together. And uh, that's vitally important. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Hani, for joining us. Um, that's brilliant. And um, lots of information there. Uh, but for now, Hani, thank you so much for joining us. You are very welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for giving me the chance to talk about these important issues in this podcast. And have a great day. And as always, all the best. That's it for Vet Times podcast this time. Thanks to our guest. If you like what you've heard, tell your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. But for now, thanks for listening. See you next time.